Hey, everybody, it's Jay Marks, and welcome to another episode of Biz Books, where I speak to great authors about the great business-related books or business books that they have written. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm speaking with Gary Rivlin. Gary has written a new book, which is right up my alley because it's about small business. It's called Saving Main Street, Small Business in the Time of COVID-19. Uh, Gary, uh, first of all, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Yes, spoiler alert, everyone, as well. For those of you guys either listening to this or watching it, uh, I'm actually mentioned in this book as well. I know we, Gary and I had a conversation um, about my thoughts on COVID. So thanks for including me. But that is in no way the reason why I'm including this book in Biz Books. It, it's just, it's a great book. Um, Gary, first of all, let, let's start out telling you a little bit about yourself and how you came to write the book. Right. So I've been a journalist for a lot of decades. I've kind of done a little bit of everything. I've written books uh, as a magazine. I'm, I'm a magazine writer. Uh, I worked for the New York Times uh, for a while. I, I covered uh, Silicon Valley. I guess I wrote about a different version of small businesses, small businesses with the aim of becoming giant businesses worth billions uh, of, of dollars. And, you know, I've, I've kind of jumped around subject-wise, tech, racial politics, gambling, uh, whatever is interesting. You know, here is very personal. My, my father was a small business uh, operator his whole uh, adult life. So I had a firsthand view of how hard it is, how yeah. hard it is, how hard it is in normal times. And that's kind of what gave rise to this book. It's just like, you know, recessions, competitors, bad breaks, there's all these things that small business operators are confronting, but now they have a pandemic. You know, now they have a shutdown order from a governor saying you can't operate the way you usually operate. And I was like, wow, how are they going to survive this? So that's 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 where this one was born. You know, and it's funny too about the book because um, it's not so much, my takeaway from this book, Gary, is that it wasn't so much of a business book as it is a mystery. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you know, you feature a, you know, a handful of small businesses, which we'll, we'll jump into in a minute in this book and how they pretty much survived COVID. And as you and I are talking about, you know, right now, it's it's November of 2022. So yeah, COVID is mostly behind us, but people are still trying to figure out what happened. Mm -hmm. And and I think, you know, your your book is is just that. I almost feel like you're you're gonna have like a, a sequel to this book that you'll write like two years from now, you know? Huh. Well, you know, it's also interesting. It's, you know, the narrative, the storyline is these business owners are hit with COVID. Right. But really, it's about the bigger challenge that every one of these business owners is a survivor. I mean, if you're open for any length of time, you stare down some, if not all of the Internet, big box stores, chains, globalization. There's these huge sweeping trends yeah. that make it harder with each passing year. So in a way, COVID was just the latest. And the good news is you've now survived so you could continue battling the big chains and private equity back, you know, efforts that, you know, we're trying to crush you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Let, let's talk about um, the main players in this book. Okay. So uh, let's start with TJ Cusimano. Tell us a little bit about TJ. So TJ, he's the kind of kid, he's the kind of guy who everyone knew he would end up a chef and, you know, and he's in third grade, he was cooking meals uh, for his friends. So he thought about other things, but all his friends, no, 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 you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to have your own restaurant. And in his mid-20s, in fact, he and his wife, Nina, um, they met at a restaurant, of course, um, you know, opened Cusamanos in uh, Old Forge, Pennsylvania. Old Forge is right outside of Scranton. And, you know, the truth is, the first few years, it was really, really hard. A restaurant is a hard 
you know, hard business to make it in. Um, and so they struggled the first few years. Sometimes they couldn't take any salaries. Nina was the waitress, was a waitress. So they lived off her chips, uh, basically. But, you know, finally in the year or two before COVID, uh, they had reached a, a really good rhythm and things were really looking up. But then boom, you know, they're in Pennsylvania and the governor said no indoor dining for about three months. And then, you know, once they reopened, it was 50% um, occupancy for a week or two or a few weeks. And then it went back to 25%. Yeah. He didn't even bother. Um, and so what was amazing about TJ was creativity. You know, just the way he, he pivoted. Again, I, I covered Silicon Valley. I covered these entrepreneurs and they're all held up for good reason uh, for being nimble. Yeah. It's just a nimble entrepreneur. First thing he did, okay, we're shut down. We have all these perishables. I need money. The town needs food. And he just had, you know, a few people helped him, bagged up vegetables, flour, you know, put his sauces into containers and had an open air market uh, on his back porch of his restaurant, brought in much needed cash and, you know, helped folks who didn't want to go to a grocery store, needed the flour or whatever. Uh, it was, and then he just tried everything. So he's a, they're high-end Italian. Mm. So they don't really lend themselves to takeout, right? It's mm. not pizza and pasta. It's, it's you know, a higher-end uh, Italian cooking. And so he tried Taco Tuesdays, big hit, especially the governor in, in Pennsylvania allowed them to sell alcohol uh, to go. Right. Uh, they did good business <laughs> in margaritas uh, as, as well. Uh, he was never particularly cared personally for barbecue, but watched YouTube videos and how to do Southern style barbecue, found a used smoker online. And, you know, by May of 2020, every weekend was having barbecues and made thousands and thousands of dollars each week, each weekend uh, on, you know, barbecue chicken, barbecued ribs and, and, and sides. It, not everything was successful. They tried uh, meal kits like uh, Blue Apron. Mm. And you know, that was a total, total but it turns out that anyone paying restaurant prices doesn't want to have to both cook the meal right. and clean up uh, after the meal. But that was like, that was TJ Kuzan model. It's just like, he just tried a little bit of everything and you know, what worked he ran with, what didn't he just, he moved on. You know, you featured TJ and a, and a, you know, a couple of their business, few other business in Pennsylvania. You mentioned um, Governor Wolf. This doesn't have not do not want this to be a political conversation, but you know, you studied these businesses and you also did some analysis of businesses, you know, nationwide uh, through COVID. What is like looking back on all of this, you know, Gary? What what are your thoughts on the lockdowns and the mandates uh, that were required for businesses? And I ask that because. Like I said, when we first started talking, you know, we're, we're still sorting through the data. Like, you know, you have people arguing like they were effective and, and necessary. You have other people saying they completely were a waste. Look at Florida, you know what I mean, compared to, you know, New York. Um, you're, you dug into this pretty deeply. What was your takeaway on, on mandates and, 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 and lockdowns? So, I, I mean, I do want to say that this was very important to me. I wanted diversity in every sense of that word. So type of, okay. type of business, male, female, race, age, but also politically. So a couple of the uh, larger characters in the books are uh, in the book are, you know, diehard Trump. Yeah. So I, I was hearing a range of views where, <laughs> thank goodness they're closing us down. The governor Democrat uh, in Pennsylvania uh, was closing us down to, you know, protesters, you know, very, very angry. They were being uh, uh, shut down. You know, I, I, there are a few really big mistakes that I hope 
we'll learn from. One was uh, in Pennsylvania and, you know, many, many states. It was hardly just Pennsylvania. I mean, I, I should also say virtually every state, you know, early on shut down non-essential yes. businesses. Florida, yes. Georgia, Texas, you know, so, some of those that famously opened up faster, they did initially Yes, uh, a, a shutdown. I, I do think while we were figuring this out, the hospitals were overwhelmed or there was a fear that hospitals would be overwhelmed like they were in New York City where I'm um, on base. But, you know, mistake number one was many governors, including Governor Tom Wolf in Pennsylvania, shut down non-essential retail, yet allowed big box stores like the Walmarts and Targets uh, and Lowe's to remain open. And that was just a huge mistake. Yeah, yeah. Even these small businesses that never have more than two or three customers at a time anyway, right. they could easily socially distance. They could have made, you know, it could have been by appointment only. The idea that there was this black and white, you need to shut down and it's against the rules, the health laws uh, to allow anyone in your establishment was overboard. Because then what happened is everyone needed things, whatever it was, you know, the hardware or, or, or food or, and sure. so everyone, piled in and congregated. Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of people at the Walmart. Yeah, it's so the, Walmart, the opposite effect, right? <laughs> the, opposite, the opposite effect, the good news is, so, so remember there was a, 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 a surge in the fall of 2020. Mm. Uh, actually the, the, the death rates and the uh, uh, COVID rates were you know, higher in, in the fall of 2020 than in the, the spring. Uh, Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania, as did other governors, uh, re-implemented uh, shutdowns. This time, he did in fact shut down indoor dining and you know beauty salons, yoga studios, those kind of things, but not retail. Right. I, I think the lesson was learned there that it made no sense. You made the problem worse. And by the way, you're giving a leg up to the giants and hurting the small business guy. Sure. sure. I, you know, I mean, I mean, I personally think you know our system is generally rigged uh, in favor of the bigger players against the smaller players. The last thing we should be doing is coming up with a policy that means the big get bigger and the small have a harder time surviving. Yeah, I had, uh, oh God, I, I gotta tell you, Gary. So like both in um, January of 2020, January 21, my wife and I went down to Florida for the month. We Airbnb'd and beat it for a month because we were able to do that working remotely. And um, it was like we entered, a, you know, it's like we landed on a different planet. Um, we both, you know, we live in center city, Philadelphia. So as bad as the state of Pennsylvania was with, you know, mandates and lockdowns, Philadelphia was even worse. And I'll never forget, it was January of uh, 2022, actually. It was this past January that we went um, down to Florida and um, there were still mandates, not only in, in, in you know, for, you know, uh, as far as uh, wearing masks, but, you know, the restaurants themselves were not allowed to serve anybody in the city of Philadelphia unless they were vaccinated. They had to show proof of vaccination. And, you know, once you get outside of Philly, as you probably know, I mean, it, you know, there were a lot of people that just chose for whatever reason not to get vaccinated. And unfortunately, that basically meant that, you know, you know, restaurants had to turn around a huge amount of business, turn away uh, because, you know, of these mandates. And, and they and it turned out that a lot of them were you know, unnecessary. Um, so I hope you're right. I hope the lessons learned people can take away. Don't, do you also feel like, and again, this is, uh, you know, you know, I, I really do feel like our political leaders are trying to do their best. You know, it's a new thing. You know what I mean? 
Um, and I don't know if you felt the same way as well. Like it was, I don't believe that whole narrative of uh, they want to control the people and, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to keep people safe, but I don't know, in the heat of the moment, sometimes they just did not make the best decisions, you know? I agree. And, you know, to use Governor, Governor Wolf happens to be your governor and yeah. you know, the, the governor at the center of my, my, yeah. my, like, you know, it's like very smart, very smart fellow. Yep. Um, By the way, a business owner as well. You know, and a very nice guy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he comes with business background. You know, but you know, a kind of this arrogance that I think helps explain, you know, Trump. You know, yeah. Trump and Trump's support that I know better, and I'm not going to really listen to anyone. He got, he got roundly criticized by Democrats, Republicans. Didn't make a difference because it was just I'm going to talk to the health experts and my three or four advisors locked in a room, and I'm not going to go out. And talk to small retailers. I'm not going to talk. It took you know, many, many, many weeks before the Restaurant Association of Pennsylvania could have a single discussion. And like about half the states in the country use this method of 50% occupancy, just, just kind of a arguably random number. Right. You could have half the people where other states, and I think this is much more sensible, said, well, just can you make sure tables are six feet apart? Right. That, that was the standard. And, you know, some restaurants are really, really small and intimate. Some restaurants are really, really big. And, you know, so Cusimano is in Pennsylvania and, in, in, you know, in the, in the book, you know, he easily could add more than 50% occupancy What with people being six feet or more away. But right. that, was, that, that, that was the rules. It, it, it was rigid. And beyond that, I think it was also not listening. Uh, the problem was not listening to actually restaurants rest, saying like, well, we can we care too. We don't want people getting sick. We don't yeah. want to get sick. We have staff. If our staff gets sick, we have to close down. You know, can you just trust us a little bit here? All right, let's talk about some more of the characters in your book, because the stories that you, this, this book is all about stories. Um, and it, their stories tell the story of what happened during the pandemic. So uh, Vilma Hernandez, tell us about her. So Vilma was born and raised in the Dominican Republic. Uh, moved to the United States when she was 18. And, you know, she she had her own hair salon uh, when she was in the Dominican Republic at 16 or 17. You know, we all talk about in this country, like, oh, small business is the heart of America. It's like, you know, folks, small business is the heart, pretty much the center of every nation. In fact, yeah. more so in other nations than America in some cases, right? Right. They don't have big chains in the right. Dominican Republic. They don't have, you know, right. more diets. So there's been a way more entrepreneurialism. So she came here and, you know, when she first got it, didn't speak the language, you know, when she, she's a citizen now, but she, uh, you know, worked for other salons. Um, but like happened with a lot of New Yorkers after September 11th, it was kind of a breaking point, let's say, like, you know, something let's try life somewhere else. She had three kids or in a small apartment in the Bronx. Uh, her husband worked for a delivery, uh, delivering beverages. And they moved to Hazleton, Pennsylvania, a sweet city of about 30,000. Used to be a kind of a glorious city. Yeah, cold country. Cold country. Yeah. Cold country, cold dried up in the 70s, went through struggles. It's now kind of half white, half uh, Latino. And, you know, she, she fulfilled her dream of having her own hair salon opened in around 2002, you know, right in the center of, of uh, Hazleton on Bear Main Street, Broad Street. And you know, first few years are a real struggle, of course, it's hard to start a new business. Um, but by the time of COVID, it's amazing. This woman had 
eight employees. I mean, it was really, really killing it. Yeah. But, you know, what happens with COVID, it shut her down completely. Uh, yeah. You know, there wasn't outdoor dining. You know, yeah. It wasn't delivery. It no, shut yeah. her down completely. And she was relieved. I mean, you know, the, the, there was a kind of a funny, the book opens this way. There was this funny period in mid-March of, two, of 2020 where your business was closing down without any governor having to tell you because customers didn't want to come. Yes, that's she right. She didn't want to be like leaning into, you know, it's very intimate yeah, having your haircut. Someone's leaning into your face. So it's yep. leaning into your face, typically, you know, the shampoo bowl. And so she was relieved uh, when, when she was shut down. But it also meant for a few months, she brought in zero money. Again, how would she survive this? But, you know, I mentioned creativity with, with TJ, grit, determination, fortitude. You know, a small business, I'm biased, right? As my dad, you know, is a small business mm-hmm. guy. I'm an independent, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a small business person, though. I don't you know are. myself. Yep. Oh, okay. Some do. <laughs> no, freelancers are small businesses, no different than anybody else, right? Yeah. I mean, you get 1099s, you follow Schedule C, maybe a subchapter yeah. S, but you yeah. you are a business owner. It's just you. That's your business. Yeah, exactly. But so, sure. you know, she, it just, you know, she, she made it work. Whatever, TJ Cusimano, you know, Vilma Hernandez, all the folks, yep. and, you know, they're not prominent in the book, but in Scranton, uh, a gay couple, they uh, put their life savings into buying and refurbishing a, a pair of old glorious buildings. Grand two was a glorious city in its day, coal country. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, there was a popular wedding venue. Both were popular wedding venues. And like with a hair salon, that pretty much went from, you know, 100%, you know, finance to zero. Zero. It went right. to zero. Right. Um, and you know, one 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 in the couple, you know, donned a red vest and worked as a clerk at a, a Lowe's, and the other went to work for a grocery chain, uh, uh, fulfilling online orders. I mean, right. both of them were members of the Chamber of Commerce. One led, led the group Scranton Tomorrow, I think it's called. You know, they were they were civic leaders, and you know, here they were working, you know, kind of blue collar, working class kind of jobs to make it work. Sure. And, and by the way, happy ending, right? You know, now now they're booked all the time, right? I mean, everyone's catching up to their weddings and their 50th birthday parties, I guess their 51st uh, birthday yep. Yep. Um, and stuff. And so, you know, but you know, they, they, they had to survive long enough to survive. How about Vilma? What did she do? Uh, you know, we, we should bring in you know, PPP uh, again. There were- we are. Yeah, I was going to I what I wanted to do is after I just introduced some of the characters here and we can we can, you know, I, I wanted to then sort of dive into some of the government programs to get your thoughts on on, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly of those. Um, well, but with Vilma, you know, it was, you know, government really saved her. She yeah. No money. I mean, her husband had a job. Her husband had health insurance. Sure. Um, she had kind of low expenses. I mean, everyone was, you know, late, laid off. I mean, you know, unemployed. So they're receiving unemployment. Right. So her expenses. Expanded unemployment too, by the way. But go ahead. Expanded unemployment, right? Right, I mean, right, 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 right. Of course, the extra $600 sure. a week. Sure, sure. Um, and, and, and so, you know, but, you know, government programs really, you know, helped her business survive. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny you, you say that. It's I <laughs> sometimes I talk about you know uh, to and write about you know inflation and yes, there is you know a big part of inflation that we're going through right now is a you know a fiscal uh, monetary you know mismanagement. But you know when when COVID hit, I mean, and, and I'm curious your thoughts on this because you know I feel like the Federal Reserve and the Treasury stepped up. They they realized that 
what killed banks in the depression was a lack of liquidity. So they provided that liquidity. And, you know, they also provided PPP and economic injury disaster loans and expanded unemployment because they realized people, they, they, that's what governments are for. And yeah, that, that contributed to an enormous increase in, you know, in the circulation of money and our money supply, the M2. But it was something that really needed to be done. And it saved people like Vilma and so many other business owners. Do you, do you agree or do you, do you not no, agree? I, I do. It, it, it amounted about $5 trillion all in. Yep. If you include the programs under both Presidents Trump and Biden. You yep. know, I, I, I thought Powell did a really excellent job at, at, at the Federal Reserve. And Mnuchin, I thought, and did a good job. I, I, you took the words out of my mouth. Yep. I, I, I am not a fan of Donald Trump or Steve Mnuchin, but I thought he really stepped up. You know, Great. I mean, that's the thing about a crisis. I, you know, a previous book I wrote was about Hurricane Katrina. And I noticed that in a crisis, some people step up. They become yeah. bigger, And some people shrink. And I, I thought Mnuchin really stepped up. I and mean, the good news is he's not an ideologue. He can yeah. negotiate with Nancy Pelosi. He can yep. negotiate with Chuck Schumer. And he made things happen because, like, he's a deal maker. He was a yep. Wall Street business deal deal maker. Yep. And you know, it's not who won or who lost. It's like let's reach a let's reach a deal so we could all be somewhat happy, even if we're disappointed by certain things. I, yeah, I thought Minutia did a real good job that year. And it's funny, I know we're jumping around. I was, I was going to wait to get into it, but I, we, we can talk about PPP a little bit now because you talk about people stepping up. I mean, you know, the Paycheck Protection Program, the genesis of that was, uh, you know, was, was Senator Rubio, you know, down in Florida. And, you know, he was a key member of the Senate Small Business Committee. They actually had um, some of that legislation, like pre-written, not for obviously COVID because they couldn't see it in advance. I interviewed him like a few months ago, and um, he told me that they they were pretty far along in the legislation to to help companies that were having problems of doing business overseas. Um, and they 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 but they all joined in together. I mean, you talk about bipartisanship, like you said with Mnuchin and you know Secretary Powell uh, or Fed Chairman Powell. Um, the entire small business committee, the small business entrepreneurship committee of the Senate, they jumped in and 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 polished off PPP with all of its good, bad, and ugly, but they got it done and moved it forward because they knew how important it was. And, and the House too. I mean, the House Republicans yep, well. on the small business committee work together. You know, I, I have such mixed feelings about PPP. I, I, I could, I feel like I could write an entire book on everything that was uh, wrong with it. But you know, I mean, starting with like. You know, you, you didn't have to have a problem to get it. You know, there, there was nothing saying like, you know, there was this vague language that current economic conditions, like, well, yeah, like no one could come to the office, people working remotely. It's adding uncertainty. Yep. The uncertainty, you know, if you could just claim uncertainty, well, everyone could have claimed uncertainty. I, I sitting at home, my kids, whatever. Of and course. So, and so that 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 was a big mistake. The idea of per physical location. You know, which is how all these, you know, P.F. Chang's, you know, uh, yep, uh, yep. publicly traded or in that case, I think private uh, public uh, private equity finance giants got money. So there there were mistakes. But people criticize like, oh, wait, there weren't the checks and balances. Are you kidding me? That money had to get out yesterday. Yes. And, and so I, I thought Mnuchin and the Republicans and Democrats who were behind PPP were right. Yes, there will be people uh, uh, who, who will steal money. You know, we're not putting the checks and balances in because we need to get the money out there. You know, I, I grew up with the 2% the rule is the way I learned it. Like if 98% of the people are doing it honestly and 
2% are ripping off, like, okay, let's go after that 2%. But that's a really good program. That money had to get out. It had to get out fast. And I thought that was the right decision. You know, uh, Rubio told me what um, the biggest mistake that he made was, um, was that um, they significantly underestimated the number of business owners who were unbanked. You know, they, you know, they either they didn't have banking accounts or they just had a personal checking account. It wasn't a, an account for their business. And as you know, PPP had to go out through, you know, through banks. You, you know, that that's how it was distributed. And what what shocked me the most, and he and he admitted that it was just a mistake, is that he's a senator from from Florida, which has a huge, you know, a population of Hispanic and Latino business owners who are known for not trusting, uh, you know, institutions and are known for doing business on a cash basis and putting money under their mattress. So you would have thought that like Rubio out of anybody, you know, coming from Florida would have been like, hey, we need to have something in this PPP that can get the money out there to these business owners, even if they don't have a bank account. Um, and, you know, his response was, yeah, it was a mistake. Lessons learned. It's just they're going to have to, you know, remember that for the future. Do you think that PPP the, and, you know, the Paycheck Protection Program um, can, you know, is a model for future, you know, relief for business owners? I mean, you know, hopefully never a pandemic, but, you know, something of the sort or something needed? Yeah. I, you know, the, the thing that confused me is that, I mean, this changed over time, but initially I think it was 75 percent of the grant had to be spent on salaries. Yeah. Like we have unemployment. Uh, TJ actually makes ma makes this point in the book uh, that like, well, why don't you just let us figure out like, okay, I'm in New York City, rents are preposterous. Why can't I use PPP to keep my restaurant sure. open, you know, keep paying the rent? I mean, it, it's money into the economy. I have to play my supplier. A restaurant cannot right. continue if it's not playing. It's, I, I didn't understand you know, why there was such strict rules that they loosened it, you know, it went from 75% had to be over, I think, eight weeks or 10 weeks, I'm forgetting. Yeah. And it, then it became 60% uh, over a, a multi-month uh, period. And, you know, that made, that made more sense to me. The idea was to help these businesses survive and also get money circulating in the economy. And I think you could have done that without making it the paycheck protection program. I agree with you completely. Um, I also think that it would probably work better if it was the, the government made the money available, distributed it to the states on some type of formula, and then you let the states figure out how their constituents what, what would make sense. I mean, if you, uh, you know, I mean, if, if you have a, a you're in a state that's uh, more agriculture based, say you're in Idaho, uh, you know, maybe more PPP related funds can be put towards fertilizer and feed and uh, you know other you know material costs of, of running an ag business. Versus if you're a business that's in New York City, where, like you said, you know, you know, rents are the big cost as well. So it might be more of a local, you know, decision. But again, and based on need and based on need, based on need. And, and getting back to your earlier point, though, I mean, look, they had to get the money out. So they didn't really have time to think of all that in advance. So I'm just hoping that we can, um, you know, people can walk away, learn from it and, and have something to use it as a model in the future. Um, and the need part of it is exactly right. I mean, anybody that, that applied got it. And, um, and even now, the people that are going after the SBA um, and the Department of Justice that's going after fraud, they're just going after the big cases. And I can't tell you how many countless clients I've had in my, my firm that you know, got 50 grand, 100 grand, 150 grand. They're way under the radar screen of, uh, you know, of the SBA. And I know that they didn't need the money. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was, it was just a windfall, you know? Right. 
Lessons learned. Lessons learned. How about the, um, give me your thoughts on the economic injury disaster loan program from the SBA. Did you find many of your, the people that you interviewed in this book? And I do want to ask you about Glenda and the Maloney clan, but before we do, um, what, what are your thoughts on the IDLs? Well, I mean, let, let's keep in mind, you know, Idol uh, has been around for yes. decades. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I first learned about it covering New Orleans. Katrina. Katrina. Yeah. Um, it, it's a real, uh, a real lifeline. You know, though I, I remember that this kind of a, a humorous anecdote, at least humorous to me, that so I, I was covering Katrina for the New York Times. Uh, I call up the SBA because I'm writing about small businesses. So there's a, a story I, I wrote. And I wanted to get a comment because there was a lot of frustration that all these small businesses that clearly had a need, like they were flooded, they were mm. destroyed, uh, waiting and waiting and waiting uh, on their idle application. It's supposed to be a you know emergency kind of loan, you know. Sure. And I call and I leave a message, and like I don't know, six or seven weeks later, my cell phone rings, <laughs> and it's the SBA. Uh, excuse me, I read that story a month and a half um, ago. Your but, government at work. <laughs> But, you know, I, I remember thinking that, wait a second, this was a large reason, region, right, the, the Gulf Coast, but a fraction of the country, Idol was just absolutely overwhelmed. Yeah. And so it's a great program. And then, you know, the, the, the Congress is trying to deal with it and they, okay, instead of 150,000 maximum loan, we're going to, what, what 15,000, 10,000 maximum. And yeah. And then they, then they start offering grants as well as part of it, you know, just for applying, you would get a grant. Uh, from the you know from the SBA and then you got additional grants if you're a minority owned business or you're in a highly uh, a low income area I mean they really muddled muddled the water right and the but, SBA isn't exactly the most efficient agency in the history of government either well, well that's why Santa Rubio um, I, I, we believe it it was his idea to have the banks distribute the money because he saw what was happening with Idol they're already overwhelmed on this one program. Yeah. You know, they're gonna have millions and millions and millions of applications for PPP. They did have millions of applications uh, for PPP. But you know, for Ida Loan, it meant everything to TJ Cusimano and his wife Nina behind Cusimano's. It's just like they're really struggling. Like they had survived that first six or seven months, but like they had no they they, they had no reserves and they're heading into the winter of 2020, 2021. Mm. And like what's gonna happen? Are people gonna do indoor dining, you know, we're not going to make, we can't have people on the back porch. They rented a tent. No one's going to want to be in a tent in Pennsylvania in January. Right. You know, how is this going to survive? And he, I think very wisely, I think it was about 50 grand, um, maybe 40,000, got an idle loan. And for him, it was peace of mind. It was security. Mm. It was a cushion. Yeah. And all and like, you know, to him, it's like paying whatever, it, it's a, I think it's a 30 year loan, paying it back $250 a month was like nothing. Yeah. Uh, just, just, that 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 was well worth that that, that two fifty whatever it is a month was well worth the cost uh, for the peace of mind he got. Yeah, that it's a thirty year fixed loan. It was like three point seven five percent interest, and yeah. uh, over thirty years you can get a hundred thousand dollar loan. You're right. It's like it's like a few hundred bucks a month to pay it back. It's like nothing. So uh, it, it it did provide that added relief. Okay, um, Glenda Shoemaker, tell us about her non life sustaining gift and card shop. So she's she's in a, a rural area, the, the yes. town of Tekanic, around seventeen hundred residents in a very sparsely populated uh, county, and you know so her mother and a partner, mother and her mother's partner, started JR JNR's Hallmark store uh, in the nineteen seventies, and for a while we're just killing it. 
Right. People buy really? It's iconic Pennsylvania. They're like running a card store and killing it. Card and gifts. And, you know, people come from now. There, are, there wasn't much else. So, you know, yeah, I guess you're right. I, I, by killing it, I mean making a very nice yeah. living. Yeah. yeah. You know, enough to sock away some money, right. vacations, work five or six days a, right. a, 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 a week and have it, you know, she, Glenda's mother had been like a legal secretary. She gave herself a raise and got independence. That's what I mean by killing it. It's kind of the small business version of killing it. That's it's fine. Working and I'm surviving the year. Right. Um, and so, um, but then, you know, Glenda took over uh, in around the mid 2000s. And, you know, you know, she starts and, you know, there, there's subprime meltdown. So there's a recession and she, she's up against every trend, right? People have buying less greeting cards with each passing year. <laughs> yeah. And that's half her store is greeting cards. Yeah. Her, 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 her customer base is aging out. Let's put it that way. Right. You know, and she's, there's a Walmart on the edge of town and they're selling at very low prices. Some of the actual uh, inventory she has, they're, they're basically selling at the same price she gets through a wholesaler and all. And, you know, she's kind of like hanging on by a thread when COVID hit. Honestly, when I first met her, I was scared, like, mm, I don't think she's gonna she's gonna last, but grit, fortitude. I mean, she's exhausted. She works seven days a week. Um, and sure. she keeps that store open. And you know, for her, some of it is, and this is so typical, I believe, of small business operators. I, I don't want to say ego, because that is a negative way, a sense of set sense of self. Yeah. Like uh, I'm a small business operator, I'm a proprietor. She's she's on the city council in Tacanic. You know. Right. I am a business leader. If this goes under, then who am I? I? I feel for her, it's almost existential, you know, that she's fighting to keep her small business, her mother's legacy, you know, the town's main street. I mean, she's on the main street in 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 Tacanic. And, you know, the way she puts it, I, I'm fighting for small towns. I mean, what was happening in Tacanic was happening in small towns across the country, you know, sure. that, Businesses that have been struggling when COVID hit. In fact, to, to me, it's the business equivalent of having pre-existing health conditions. You know, if you had heart conditions, you know, lung, you know, lung problems heading into COVID, you were much more likely to get severely sick if not pass away. The same with businesses. If you had pre-existing economic conditions, which she did, I mean, she to me had the equivalent of business-wise of, you know, kind of lung, heart, et cetera, you know, basically. <laughs> Mm -hmm. going on but you know i'm gonna give it away you know she survives it's funny how recessions sometimes can have a darwinism effect on a lot of businesses you know uh you know when times are good you know you walk around the streets of my neighborhood there's a, a dozen nail shops you know and then a recession hits and all of a sudden there's like three left uh she was an interesting character only because of her independence and she was vocal and you're right she she was very very proud of her business and and active in the town so uh, to her, the business—you know—her business was all about you know her life. That was her livelihood, and that was her represented her. How did you find her? Like, you know, did you? I mean, what the what the hell are you doing in Taconic, Pennsylvania? Well, you know, I—I I, I mean, obviously, there's many small businesses in my life and outside my window here mm. in, in New York City, but I really wanted someplace away from the coast. Right. I, I wanted there kind of be a universality, and so you know, New York is its own strange. It is. So, so I. I and Philadelphia too, I'd put in that same category. Um, and so it's, you know, Northeastern Pennsylvania, I mean, early on, I could drive to it. That was a big consideration with COVID. I didn't have to worry about flying and being sure. shut down. 
Sure. Uh, sure. That way. And I, I went to the chambers, local chambers of commerce. You know, there's some of the unsung heroes here, the local chambers of commerce, the SBDCs, the small business development centers, which, you know, to me, so they offer consultants free to small businesses. And to me, it's like evening up the playing field a little bit. Yep. You know, the well, giants well, have their marketing directors and their finance people yep. and all that and stuff. And so I just kind of went to them and said, hey, what are some interesting what are some interesting businesses? You know, Glenda was the most reluctant of all the business owners. Right. I, and, and, you know, and in a way she was the best for a writer because she wore her fears on her sleeve. She spoke about resentments and anger. she felt very alone. In fact, I, I kind of feel like I was almost her, you know, uh, her therapist. You sure. Know, just, sure. You know, she felt so alone. How am I going to survive this? You know, her mother's in her mid eighties, didn't want to burden her with her woes around the store and stuff. And so I would come like, yeah, I don't have time to talk. And, you know, two hours later, you know, we're still talking, you know, so. So you, you know, you, you traveled all around, you're in Pennsylvania, you're in Scranton, you're in Hazleton, you're in Taconic, Pennsylvania, but you did feature um, a business in the Bronx, um, the Maloney Brothers, um, who sold cacao, am I pronouncing their business right? A chocolate maker? Sold um, cacao. Sold yeah, cacao. cacao, okay. Um, Tell me a little bit about them. So, you know, I, I really, m my father for <clears throat> most of his adult life was a manufacturer, a maker. And so to me, I couldn't really, it's called saving Main Street, which implies retailers, restaurants. But to me, I couldn't really write about small businesses without talking about manufacturing. That's a big piece uh, of the small business sector. And, and, and then it seemed less important to choose a place away from uh, New York, New York City, and these are the the the, the three black siblings. Uh, you know, born in Trinidad, Trinidad, uh, grew up in the in Brooklyn, but have Salka Cow in the Bronx. And you know, the, about five, they were about five years into the business when COVID hit, and they were still kind of building. You know, most of their sure. sales came from going to you know uh, uh, farmers markets and festivals and doing in store. Uh, sampling. They're in a few uh, Whole Foods here, but they're mainly here in New York. But, you know, they're mainly in specialty stores, which were shut down by COVID. They couldn't do their in-store sampling during COVID, uh, the height of COVID. Uh, you know, there, there's no <laughs> no festivals, anything like that. And so I was amazed. You know, they thought they were doomed. I thought, wow, how are they going to survive this? But again, something about small business operators, something about entrepreneurs, they pivoted. 90% of their sales uh, when COVID hit were retail. Right. Um, and within a year, 50% was direct sales through their website. Yeah. They kind of went that They direct, went online. Yeah. Really amped up. And much of the rest was corporate sales. Yeah. That all these corporations that want to thank their workers for, you know, essential workers for, for, for putting up and, and putting in sure. all the effort. Um, and corporations and corporations that want to show their support for small businesses as well, right? And what what a perfect small business to support, you know, a uh, you know minority-owned business in the Bronx, you know, struggling manufacturer that makes chocolate, great chocolate, right? Yeah. No, it's really it's, it happens to be really great. They're, they 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 taught themselves, but you know that their grand their grandfather, their great grandfather from um, uh, in Trinidad, Trinidad, yeah, yeah, they they, they had um, you know they were cacao farmers. And, you know, they kind of going back to their roots that their dream was to kind of own a cacao farm, but like, wait, we need a lot of money to buy a farm, but if we could use the beans and make uh, chocolate bars and, you know, you look at them now 
And so they built up this corporate business. Yeah. They have a robust uh, uh, direct-to-consumer uh, business. Meanwhile, retails come back. Meanwhile, meanwhile, retailers are hearing about them. Retailers are uh, want to support uh, Black-owned businesses. And so then they have both working. So right. because of COVID, they're that much stronger because they have the corporate sales, they have the direct sales, and they're back to doing uh, retail. And so, you know, it's like kind of the point you're making about the recession, like, it's Darwin, you know, the, 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 they the, they had the fortitude. They're now stronger today because they survived COVID. So um, there are a myriad of other characters and we, 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 we're, we're running out of time here. And, and for, for those of you guys listening or, or, you know, or watching us, I mean, this is just, it is a book about, you know, small businesses in the in, in during COVID small businesses representing more than half of the people employed in this country, more than half of the GDP in this comp in this country as well. Um, and there are other characters besides the businesses that, you know, that you featured, Gary. I mean, we talked about Tom Wolf. There was Jeff Kuzat, the mayor of Hazleton, you know, John Longstreet, Joseph Letch, a corner pharmacist, um, all, all different people that came, you know, in and out of this book that had different stories to tell. Um, just, I have two questions for you just to, to wrap things up. So you, what I saw during COVID was, um, my clients were mostly B2B. You know, we have about 600 clients in my firm and um, they are, and they're mostly in the mid-Atlantic area at family-owned businesses, you know, you know, industrial parks, you know, corporate centers, you know, that kind of thing. A great many of them did great during COVID. You know, I mean, they were, it was like some of their best years ever. They, they sold online. Maybe they were shut down for a little bit. A lot of them finagled their way into the essential business, you know, definition and were never questioned about it. And, um, and they carried on and there were a lot of businesses that really did well. So, you know, I, I'm wondering, um, you know, is that another book, you know, I mean, you know, where, cause you talked about businesses that were really hit with challenges and pivoted and survived, but there, I believe there's, there's a whole other population, a demographic of small businesses that prospered during COVID. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if you gave any thoughts or writing about them. I, I, I did not. I, I guess I, I write about underdogs. I, I like folks that are kind of hit hard and have to over uh, come, but I, 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 I do agree with you. I mean, maybe this is a part of the untold story is that some, some businesses really profited. I mean, yeah. I, I don't mean because they sold, you know, kind of COVID tests. No. You know, I, no. I mean that, you know, they, they you know, PPP kind of helped pay their payroll yep. uh, while, while they were fully operational. Um, and, you know, in fact, the, the, I found Cusimanos through this woman. She She's uh, active in the National Federation of Independent Businesses, you know, in Northeastern Pennsylvania. And I was kind of doing my auditions, like, well, this business makes sense. And I realized I talked to her, this pool supply company. Oh, and I was talking to her, like, she had her best year in ever. Yep. She's been, her business has been around 20, 30 years, I forget. It was the best year ever, by far. I mean, by far. And so, but fortunately, she said, oh, but I do have an Italian restaurant I love in Old Forge, Pennsylvania. And that's how I got these models. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, they're, you know, contractors, people in the construction business, home repair business, they were crushing it. Uh, cause people were stuck at home and that's what they were doing. And then of course, realtors, cause people were buying homes. Uh, and then of course there was, uh, you know, anybody involved in e-commerce and some restaurants really, at least in the city, like where I'm in Philly, uh, you know, I've talked to, you know, restaurant owners around here that said like, we're, we're going to cut down our lease and just do more takeout. Cause it's just more profitable for us. We don't have to worry about employees and people walked away 
um, you know, with some good lessons, which, which brings me to my last question. So TJ, Vilma, Glenda, Dominic, Nicholas, and Daniel, you know, at, at you know, the Maloney Brothers, I mean, they're all still in business, right? I mean, as far as you know, they're, they're all yeah. still around. I'm absolutely certain. I, I, I've yep. been in touch with all of them in the last uh, couple of weeks. You know, it's like, to me, that that is the great untold story. Right. Uh, of, Tell me. Of, of, of COVID. Like, there's something, uh, you know, I, I am the media, right? I, I have the New York Times, you know, I look at my resume. Um, and it's, it's, we do a really good job of telling you all the bad things that can happen. But then we move on. There wasn't the great small business die-off that nope. we were warned about. When I started this project, I feared, you know, they're talking about 25% of small businesses going under, 33%, 40% of independent restaurants are going to go under. You know, it's hard to tell. You know well, people listening probably know well. Small businesses are always going out of business. The Fed did a fascinating study, I think. Um, and they found like every in a typical year, about 8.5% of small businesses shutter, go out yep. of business. Yep. Um, in 2020, 11, 11.5% of the businesses closed. Now, there's a lot of sadness. I lost a couple of favorite small businesses in my life. I'm sure that's true a lot. If, if you go to college towns, they were hurt hard, right? I mean, all these students were in their childhood bedrooms, not of course. You know, in the dorm. Or, or, or businesses in downtown centers, you know, workers weren't coming into the office, you know? Right. And so, you know, there the, 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 there was, you know, businesses really hurt, but there wasn't the economic carnage yep. uh, that, that we were warned about. Why not? And, Why not? I guess that's, that's my question. And I'm not expecting you to have. I have the answer. Huh? Okay. I tell tell me the answer. Yeah. Why not? Why is it when I walk around, you know, Philadelphia right now, when I drive around in the suburbs, I was talking about that with my wife just the other day and I cover small business. You know I mean? Like I, you know, I write about a small business. I look around, I'm like, you would never know a pandemic happened. I mean, you know, there's no more empty stores than there was back in 2019. And, you know, all the restaurants still seem to be around and all the busy, everybody's, you just wouldn't know it. What the, why not? Well, so by the way, at the University of California, Santa Cruz, there's a study saying there are more small businesses today <laughs> than there were in 2019. Yeah. Well, certainly more startups, that's for sure. 10 million of them over 2020 and 2020. Yeah, no, entrepreneurship is really up. It's great. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it, it's we've been talking about all of it, like the creativity, uh, the ability to pivot of small businesses, the fortitude, the grip of small businesses, and something you rarely hear. But government worked. I mean, it was yep. inefficient. We could critique it, but you know, between idle and PPP, that's a trillion dollars. They threw a trillion. The U.S. government threw a trillion dollars at small businesses, and it's amazing what a trillion dollars could do. And on top of that. You know, uh, stimulus dollars, lots of folks got, you know, extra money in their pocket, you know, childcare money, yep. just kind of a check from the U.S. government. Uh, we got Don't forget the, the restaurant revitalization fund, you know, they help out restaurants, the uh, the arts uh, funding, I forget the name of that, that, you know, helping out theaters and, you know, and, you know, businesses in the arts world. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of support given by the government. And, um, and as we sit here today, like, you know, things still seem to be working. You know what I mean? The government didn't collapse. You know what I mean? Like the, the money was there. It almost makes you think with all the argument over like healthcare. You know, remember that back in like 2010, you know, like it's going to cost a trillion dollars. You think to yourself like, I don't know, why does the government, we clearly they were able to spend, you know, $5 trillion and rescue the, the economy and things are still moving on right now. You, it almost makes you, you re-question what more money the government could be spending um, and what real impact it would have on the world, you know? 
<laughs> well, that, that's not having any time. No. Soon, so <laughs> okay. I get your point, but <laughs> you would need another pandemic to get to, to get that going. Gary Rubin is the author of Saving Mainstream: Small Business in the Time of COVID nineteen. Like I said at the beginning, <clears throat> it's not a business book per se. It's a mystery, and 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 Gary provides you know provides answers to the mystery of how did small businesses make it through uh, you know, a, a pandemic, a worldwide, unprecedented economic catastrophe. Um, the answer in his book, Gary, um, it was just a great read. And I want to thank you so much for joining me. And I want to wish you the best of success with the book. Thank you so much, Gene. Everybody, you've been watching and listening to BizBooks. My name is Gene Marks. Be, uh, join us again in two weeks. I'll be back with another author with another great business book like Gary's book about small business. I uh, hope you enjoyed this conversation and we will see you again soon. Take care.